Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Now you're welcome on to the football show. Latest this evening, nil all between Newcastle and Leicester. Second half is just getting underway. Later on this evening, we will talk to Graeme Hunter. Vinicius uh, Jr. once again, and it is very much once again, subjected to the most pernicious, uh, vicious, racist abuse in a stadium. Carlo Ancelotti uh, said afterwards, he was furious afterwards, actually. Uh, Ancelotti uh, was aghast that the interviewer on Spanish television wanted to talk about football with him. He said the game should have been abandoned. Vinicius was in tears on the pitch. It's incredibly upsetting. We're talking about a 22-year-old. And uh, he took to Instagram once again afterwards to talk about his uh, disgust with the situation, which just seems to go on unchecked uh, largely. Although Graeme, as you'll hear later on in our conversation, is a touch more optimistic than he often is when we discuss the racism around uh, Vinicius with him on account of the public outcry across Spain on the back of uh, this latest episode. So Graeme will explain all in due course. But first, we did want to talk about the Premier League weekend that was. Very happy to say football writer Jonathan Wilson is once again with us. Good evening. Very welcome, Jonathan. Evening. How are you doing? Very well. I did note that the uh, weekend started with uh, yet another defeat for Spurs at the hands of uh, Brentford. Harry Gain scored goal number 28. Uh, what a weird place in his career. Uh, so, misses crucial penalty at World Cup for England, their best chance perhaps of winning the World Cup in his career. The club has fallen down all around him and he scores 28 goals, which is one shy of his best ever season. And yet next to Erling Haaland, it looks like something quaint of a bygone era so <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm so curious to see what becomes of Kane over the next uh, two three years is your sense it's very much Old Trafford um, I don't know to be honest uh, I, I think so six weeks two months ago you, you might have thought Manchester United was a, a more attractive prospect than it looks now um, I'm not even convinced he wants to leave I, I, I think I think the fact he stayed at Tottenham so long suggests to me that that there is something deep within him would prefer to stay at Tottenham if he felt there was a reasonable chance of, of progress of winning something. Um, he's obviously getting to an age where those decisions have a bit more urgency about them. Um, I don't think anybody could could say, I mean, I guess you know, the world being what the world is, the most blinkered Tottenham fans could turn on him and, you know, accuse him of having betrayed the club or whatever. But, you know, he's given the club everything mm. that you could realistically expect from somebody. It's about time they gave him something back. And, you know, this season, the fact he scored 28 goals in a terrible season for Tottenham, yeah. you think how bad would they have been without him? You know, where would they have been without, without those goals? All the more reason Daniel Levy will say, mm, no. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> you're staying, pal. Um, I, and, the, and the thing is, you know, if you're if you get rid of Kane, what are you building the team around? Yeah. It's it's it, it's it's not like I mean, you know, this does happen when teams are out of form. You, you suddenly start looking at players and thinking, you know, is anybody going to be upset if he leaves? Um, Kane's the only one, really. I think where people will be upset if he goes. Um, I, I guess maybe Benton Kerber. Obviously, you know, he's had the injury problems. Um, and you know he has the, the benefit of youth, 
but there's there's not a pl- not a lot of players there who who are popular or really deserve to be popular on recent mm. form. Um, I and mean, yeah, Son clearly was one this time last season. He just said they absolutely desperately want to keep him. He's had an awful season. Um, he's clearly a really good player, but he's he's of an age now where you think, well, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe maybe he's gone past his peak and he's he's on the downward slope and he's not going to get back. Maybe next season he comes out and scores twenty goals again. But um, it's it's hard on recent performances to, to to make that case. And then for Kane, does it does he go to United? Does it, I mean, there's a there's a sort of strong English core there that maybe maybe would attract him. I guess everybody now. Um, yeah, I think one of the arguments for to not go to Manchester United in the past was you're sort of it's very difficult to gain personal glory from that. You know, when Robin van Persie went there, he had a great season, but he was just continuing the United juggernaut. Yeah, it's another it's another trophy won, another box ticked for him. It was great because he he won a tr- trophies he hadn't won at Arsenal. Um, but you know, Kane going there, it, it is different that United have had. Uh, the decade without success now, and and so to be the player who who maybe could bring them back to glory, uh, I guess that is attractive. Having said that, you know it's still a million miles off City, so so, so maybe I, mean, I guess that maybe is a thing to keep him at Tottenham. But it's going to City when when that was on the table last year, you, you were joining probably the best club in Europe, um, and. Uh, yeah. That that, that 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 was an almost guarantee of success. He goes to Manchester United. The situation might not be that different to Tottenham. Yeah. He, he might be the leading light in a in a team that's struggling to to, to reach the heights it, it it hopes to hit. It's a fair point. So we can start it with Spurs. Finished obviously with uh, City, as you've alluded to. Now the title race, the air was let out of the tires the night that City beat Arsenal. It was well and truly flat by uh, this weekend obviously, but they celebrated and there was a pitch invasion and all those good things. Uh, put into context, and some of this is is subjective as opposed to facts and figures. Put into context City's current dominance in English football. Obviously in the 80s there was Liverpool, I think it was six and eight years at one stage in the 80s. And then more recently... Uh, Ferguson's United, I think, eight and 13 years and four out of five years at one stage as well in um, his uh, third and final great team. So it's beyond the numbers, I suppose, when we're trying to assess the most dominant team that we've seen in English football. Where does this uh, city group, and I appreciate they're not done yet, where do they fit into that conversation in your eye, Jonathan? I mean, they are the most dominant. I don't think there's any question about that. The yeah, you know, only the sixth team to to win three in a row. They're only the third team to win five in six years. Uh, Ferguson's United and and the the great Liverpool uh, being the other two. But if you look at the, the points tallies, the Liverpool one it's it's slightly harder because uh, I think the side of the first three or first four years of that were under two points for a win. So it's not just a case of scaling that up because obviously incentives are different. Um, but if you just compare it to, to Manchester United uh, of a the late nineties, um, they. It's a couple of weeks since I've done the maths on this, but uh, and I guess it would be higher now because City kept winning. But if you if you projected out this season in terms of points per game, City then were on course to get I think it was seventeen point one percent more points than United got over those six seasons. So you're you're seventeen percent, well more eighteen nineteen percent by now. Better 
more dominant than the previous most dominant team in history. So that's that's really pretty dominant. Um, and beyond points, I guess you said, beyond points, because I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, which is a fair, your, yeah. a fair point. Yeah. yeah, but I take your point, not to keep saying the word point over and over again. <laughs> um, but, and how does it feel emotionally, their dominance in comparison with, say, United or Liverpool? Well, yeah, I, I think that's, the, I, I guess there's two elements to that. So one is you say, um, from a football point of view, why are they dominant? They're dominant because they've got great players. They spent a lot of money, but you, know, you compare it to other teams at the top. They haven't spent you know, extraordinary amounts compared to certainly Chelsea in the last year or Manchester United or Arsenal or, or, or Liverpool or whoever. Yeah. They, they they have spent, um, I think in terms of transfer fees, I think they've spent less than than about half a dozen teams over the last uh, seven years. Wages is a different story. Um, but the, the, yeah, the point is that over 15 years, they have consistently spent a huge amount of money and they've constructed a club very cleverly. They've spent the money well. Uh, there hasn't been much wastage there. But they, they identified very early that Pep Guardiola was the best coach in Europe. They appointed Fernando Soriano and Chiqui Bagiristain to Barcelona directors to, to sort of prepare the ground for him. And everything has been set up for him. So the question then is, what happens when Guardiola goes? And I, I, I suspect they will continue to be dominant, but probably not this dominant. I mean, that, that's a pattern we saw with Barcelona that we've seen with Bayern. Pep Guardiola, whatever you think of him as a person, whatever you think of various things in his past, um, he's a brilliant football coach. Probably in our lifetimes, the, the, the greatest coach. Um, and yet people say, oh yeah, but he, he couldn't do it with Tranmere or Walsall or Sunderland or, or whoever. Yeah, but so what? None of the great coaches did it with with those clubs. Not not in the last fifty years. Um, so so it's a, yeah, it's a slightly fallacious argument. When we talk about the great coaches. Yeah, obviously, coaching Manchester City is a very different job to coaching Walsall. But he's not being asked to coach Walsall. Uh, he's being asked to coach Manchester City, and he's doing it incredibly well. So so that, yeah, I, I think that domination may may fade when as and when he goes. Um, I don't. It, yeah, we often hear rumours towards the end of the season. Guardiola's sort of thinking about his future. I'm not aware of of any whisper around that 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 subject at the minute. So I think we can assume he's there for two or three years more at least. Mm. Uh, I mean, he is a very intense figure. It, it does seem to sort of take it out of him. Certainly, that was his experience at Barcelona. Maybe because of his emotional investment there, maybe that makes it slightly different. Um, but yeah, when when Guardiola goes, they will come back towards the pack. But that financial domination is, yeah. I mean, okay, Newcastle and, and Saudi Arabia, a Qatari takeover of a, yeah. of a club, should that be Manchester United or, or maybe somebody else, may challenge that. But they, they are wealthy beyond anything else we've we've seen in football. Uh, and that gives them a, a, a whole number of advantages. So, yeah, this, 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 this stat that City fans love to come out with, they're, they're only, the, I think it's the sixth, but... They've got the six hours net spend since 2016. Well, yes, but if they needed to, they could spend more. So they've always got that safety net. If other teams start a challenge, spend a bit more, spend a bit more, spend a bit more. They can go bigger. They can they can afford to fail as well. If they make a £100 million signing and it doesn't work, yeah, they, they move on. If Liverpool do that, it's a big problem for them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you have this issue of, of 115 Premier League charges, 
admittedly, they took place a, a long time ago, but that's how they were able to bridge the gap from where they were to where they are now, that period. Uh, so those are consequential to what's happening now. And I think the, the bigger worry is, and this is true of all of the state projects, it's true of PSG and it's it's true of Newcastle, um, they have such wealth that they're essentially ungovernable by football's authorities. Mm. That if the football authorities bring charges against them, if they find them guilty, um, these clubs can afford to pay the very best lawyers to, to, to challenge those decisions and they can make them last a long time and they can run down the resources of, of, of the governing bodies and they can cost those governing bodies enormous amounts of money. Mm. Um, and that makes it very, very hard to regulate. And I, I have a certain sympathy with both UEFA and the Premier League in, in trying to do that. OTB GAA. I think it has become a little bit sanitized. You need somebody to bring a bit of color and wit and enthusiasm. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Come to the charges in just one moment because they're such an integral part of this story. But if we're assessing this latest City League win, you touched there on, on, on something which is so admirable about the way that they have gone about their business and the other side of the ledger under less admirable is uh, pretty hefty as well. Don't get me wrong. But there is almost something like traditional, uh, Ferguson-esque about the way that they have made Guardiola the most important person at the club. He doesn't want uh, Cancelo. They say, fine, you are truly the boss. Cancelo goes. And he is so exceptional. They have recognised that. Like, in some respects, the the best thing they have done is to have the good sense to realise just how great Guardiola is and stay out of the way and and that might sound like, you know, not the most complicated thing to have uh, arrived at, but geez, <laughs> turns out it's rarer than you think. Like there is like a super intelligent group there to recognise, let the genius work, put him in charge. Yeah, and his support staff and Soriano and Begiristein. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It's not complicated, and yet the history of wealthy owners tells you they very rarely do that. They they want to be involved. They want to, you know, you're your Chelsea. You've got a manager who's who's won the Champions League, um, yeah, for the for the club, you know, a year a year earlier. You say, oh yeah, he's 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 the man that we're gonna, um, yeah, we're gonna allow him to make the big decisions. He's the expert, and you spend two hundred fifty million pounds for him, and then seven days after the window closes, actually he's not the man for us. Sorry, we got that wrong. We'll just spend another three hundred fifty million in in January. I mean that's not a way to to to, to run anything. Um, you look even at City when you know, they they had the um, Chinawatra little little spell before yeah. Sheikh Mansour came in, and that spending then was was very very odd. But what once they worked out, you no know, Barcelona are the club you want to emulate. Let's bring in two Barcelona directors. Let let's let them sort it out. Yeah, that, that's that's a cleverest way of doing things. Mm. Newcastle, to be fair to them, I think they've they've started off pretty impressively. Um, you know, there haven't been any Rubinho style signings. They've they they've you know it's 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 incremental the improvement, which is I think the way you have to do it. You you don't want one of your players to be yeah ten times as good as everybody else, and you have to pay him ten times as much money. Yeah, you know, that's that's not a recipe for for success. Yeah. And PSG are the great warning. If you can spend an enormous amount of money, 
you can win the league every year. And as soon as you get into a competition where you have other mildly wealthy clubs who can challenge you, it turns out you're useless. Yeah. Can I put you in the impossible position of trying to like speak on behalf of maybe 50 million people? Uh, are City hated in the way that stand up if you hate Man United at England games was a go-to? Um, I, I, That's really hard to answer. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Football generally is different now to how it was. I think people are so wrapped up in their own clubs and their own antagonisms. And this is a, a very sort of um, uh, almost a navel-gazing point. But it's astonishing when you know, if, I, if I raise a question about Qatar maybe taking over Manchester United and I suddenly get Manchester United fans going, oh, why didn't you say this when it was Newcastle? Why didn't you say this when it was City? Have you read anything I've written in the last 15 years? And of course, the truth is they haven't because they just read about Manchester United. Why would they be reading me on other things? Yes. Um, so I, I think to an extent, there's a there's a degree of, um, not ignorance, but it's, it just doesn't impinge on people to that mm. extent. Mm. In terms of the ownership, I think there's a frustration now that, you know, as with United in the 90s, that they're, they're, they're so dominant. I think the other thing that's changed in terms of fandom is it's much more international now. Um, and I, I think um, you know, the way fandom was constructed in the 90s was still very much you tend to support your local team. One of the reasons that Manchester United, or one of the sticks you used to beat Manchester United with, maybe is a better way of putting it, yeah. was that their fans were not from Salford, not from Manchester. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true of City yet, but they obviously do have a, you know, a lot of uh, fans from overseas, particularly... Uh, you know, you, you get a lot of Ivorians, for instance, support them because of Yaya Toure, which is totally reasonable, makes a lot of sense. I think we're much more familiar with that idea, much more comfortable with that idea now with the global fan base. And I think that slightly dilutes that. Yes. Having said that, I've been really struck, um, having yeah, written a couple of pieces over the last couple of weeks, trying to to put it into context of, of how how great are they? How, they, how do they compare to... Mm. Manchester United's treble winners, you know, if they do go on to win the treble, uh, or we, you know, we were talking about the, the six teams to to have won the league three times in a row, um, and even though you know, I'll, I'll mention some because I think you have to mention it, the fact they're facing 115 charges of all the the disquiet, the discomfort about the ownership. You put out a tweet about it, and you get a load of responses now going. What about the charges? What about it's, well, it is there in the piece if you actually read it. Yeah. But the fact that that is now the knee-jerk reaction, whereas I would say even a year ago, the knee-jerk reaction was was the other way of City fans going, why can't you give us credit? You uh, I think that's interesting. I think that yeah. suggests there is a mounting sense of unease. And I think the charges actually probably have brought that to, to the surface. Yeah. There's a feeling that the Premier League would not have brought those charges unless they had deep concerns, that they wouldn't... They wouldn't risk the reputation of a, of a competition unless there's a very, very serious case to be answered, whether yeah, they end up being found guilty or not. Well, that's as a, as a final thought as the clock comes against us. That is what's so dispiriting about the whole thing now. Premier League would not bring these charges against their own champions unless they were deeply confident that rules had been broken in a major way and 115 charges at that. And a city responded at the time by saying, we have irrefutable evidence uh, which proves our innocence. I mean, if, if you really have irrefutable evidence, like rather than drawing this thing out over several years, a quick email where you condense down that irrefutable evidence might be 
pretty helpful for both you because you know this league win and any future league wins are completely tarnished at the moment. Most of us are sitting here with our hands crossed and you, you, you can't even assess them properly until we have a verdict. But I think the most dispiriting thing about all of this is at the end of the two, three or four years, Jonathan, uh, and such is the world at large, we will reach a point where regardless of the verdict, a city will maintain their innocence, as will their fans, and it will just be this big, horrible, dirty mess. And that's that's the lot of the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that point you make about it being impossible to assess them it's absolutely true. I mean, I, yeah, I, I tried to do that in the Guardian on Saturday and found that the whole way, I, I, I couldn't see anything apart from 115 charges. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, the, the idea that, yeah, I, th- I think even if they are innocent on all these counts, I think there's something very dispiriting about that ownership. It is something very, um, it's just bad for football to have mm. state owning clubs because it makes us, you know, as I said before, it makes the clubs very, very hard to regulate. Um, which is why you know, I really hope this is a, an example of football's governing bodies being able to regulate. Um, so I, you know, I really hope whichever way the decision goes, it's clear cut. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, what we don't want is something as happened with UEFA where essentially it's, well, they're guilty of a lot of these, but they're time barred. So we can't, you know, yeah, and then, then having the end, yeah, finding them, you either find them for not co- not cooperating with the inquiry. Well, if you do have irrefutable evidence, you cooperate every step. And what you don't do is go, ah, oh, that KC who's running this, he's an Arsenal fan. Like, that's not irrefutable evidence. That's yeah. that's you know that that's the it's playground stuff. It's it's appealing to sort of the the most vocal and virulent you know city fans on on the internet to give them you know. It's, you know, it's red meat to them. Somebody said, oh, yeah, this whole process is flawed. How could we have to get mm. a fair hearing mm. when the you know, one of the KCs running it is, is an Arsenal fan? Yeah, I think that's exactly where we're headed, unfortunately. We are uh, out of time. Uh, cheery chat. Uh, good, to, <laughs> <laughs> good to lay out the land. I think it's important uh, to do that routinely. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, though. Cheers. Thank Cheers. You. Jonathan Wilson uh, with us as Manchester City officially win their fifth title in six years and our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky you can watch all the football you love including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky